Good afternoon and welcome to a live edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Glad to have you here on a snow day. Maybe you're just kind of coming in and getting some uh, hot chocolate, maybe getting close to the fireplace after being out with the kids. And (laughs) you're not in that carpool like uh, typically at this time of the afternoon because schools have been closed. Another snow day to be out and enjoy. It's been really a nice snow and a bit of a drier, flakier snow. I'm not a connoisseur of the white stuff at all. But give you a rundown on our forecast before we start our program today. This afternoon, continued sunny and cold with a high near 18 degrees. Tonight, mostly clear with a low down to 8 degrees. But the wind chill values makes it feel as low as minus 2, which is going to be extremely cold. And then on Wednesday, sunshine, but still not above freezing with a high near 26. And uh, again, on Wednesday night, 13. Thursday is when we start climbing out of this with warmer temperatures, sunny skies, and a high near 36 degrees. Our iTunes podcast on Mid-South Viewpoint, you can go to iTunes and search Byron Tyler Radio or Mid-South Viewpoint and be able to pick up past shows if you haven't had a chance to, to listen to. I'm really looking forward to this afternoon. I have a longtime friend of mine, Frank Anderson. We met when he was a intern, a workshipper, while he was attending seminary at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. We just kind of hit it off, became friends. Frank, are you there? I'm here. Oh, good. <laughs> He's been patiently hanging on. We had a jump rooms. We had some equipment issues here. But, hey, Frank, we were going to get together in the studio and decided that it might be better for you just to hang out at your house and, and just do this by phone. Well, Byron, I'm just glad to uh, have the opportunity to talk with you. You were talking about our, our friendship. That goes back to uh, almost 28 years ago. My goodness. Yeah, so uh, it's good to be with you again. I don't get to see you that often, but just like we... When we get together, it's like there's just the fellowship, I guess, in Christ, you know, and just being friends. And it's, you know, it's kind of neat when you have a friendship, you don't always have to be together. You don't have to always be there all the time. And still, when you get back together, it's like you just pick it right back up. Amen. Amen. Let me introduce uh, Dr. Frank Anderson. He is Stephen Olford Chair of Expository Preaching, also the Associate Professor of Missions and Ministry. And his newest position is Director for the Center for Racial Reconciliation at Union University. Union has a campus in Germantown, and I believe you work out of the Germantown campus primarily, Frank. Is that right? That's going to change in a few months. But uh, Are now, you moving to Jackson? Well, uh, yes. Uh, Jackson will end up being home base by uh, fall of next year. Uh, we'll continue to uh, uh, work with our uh, regional campuses, both uh, here in the Germantown-Memphis area and in the the uh, Nashville Hendersonville area, but uh, uh, the Center of Racial uh, Center for Racial Reconciliation is housed on the, the main campus, and uh, just think it's better that I transition there. Well, I'm going to have to come visit you at your new home then when yeah. you make this uh, you know permanent move. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Well, uh, Frank, you know, in light of uh, MLK, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 50th. I mean, is it hard for you to believe it's been 50 years since uh, his assassination? It is hard for me to believe, especially since uh, I can vividly recall the uh, events leading up to his assassination and uh, the very day of his assassination. I was just seven years old, uh, going on eight, but uh, uh, my family was very much attuned to what was going on, and of course, uh, since his assassination took place here in Memphis, 
Um, there were a lot of uh, very interesting uh, events that revolved around uh, that particular time, and uh, um, uh, it's it's uh, unbelievable that it's been 50 years. You know, it also made an impression on me. You and I are close to the same age, and I was here in Memphis at that same time, and remember getting a call from a family member and saying to my mom, would you please go downtown and pick up your niece? There's a lot of things happening right now downtown, you know? There was rioting that was happening. There was a lot of frustration and anger, as you can well imagine. And I was just, a, I guess, a six-year-old boy at the time. And I remember riding back in a 65 Malibu Chevrolet in the back. And my mother kind of told me to get down on the floor. And we we drove down to a department store where my cousin was inside waiting for us to pick her up. She had been on a city bus, but the city bus had been uh, diverted. So anyway, I just had some snapshot memories, you know, of, of that and a fear and, and not really knowing what was going on. I was only six years old. Well, uh, I, there, there are some things that really stand out for me. Um, I recall the, the I am a man signs. Uh, um, uh, I guess one of the reasons that uh, that is so etched into my, my memory is uh, my dad took the time to explain uh, what the signs were about and what was going on. And by the way, I, I just want to give honorable mention to this. Uh, today is the 26th anniversary of my dad's death, and uh, as we celebrate uh, the anniversary of the uh, well, the birthday of Dr. King. And this, this, this whole year of celebration and commemoration uh, where his life and his work are, are concerned, uh, I have to think about my, my dad as well. And, uh, again, how attuned he was to everything that was going on. Uh, I remember the curfews. Uh, uh, we, uh, My dad served at that time as pastor of a small church. Many of the people didn't have cars and uh, the Sundays leading up to the time of the assassination of Dr. King, we I remember our car being packed with people um, because we had had an afternoon service at church and we were trying to get everybody home before the curfew. I remember the National uh, Guardsmen coming through. Uh, I remember the terrible, terrible storm uh, that occurred on the night of April 3rd uh, when uh, Dr. King made his uh, last speech here in Memphis. My dad was thinking about uh, uh, going to hear that particular speech, and I I remember being uh, afraid, really, uh, for two reasons. One, uh, just the uh, 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 just how ferocious the storm was, and also because it was such a tense time here. And uh, um, uh, my dad worked not too far from where. Dr. King was assassinated, and my mom was teaching at a school in North Memphis. And even though we lived in South Memphis, uh, I attended the school along with my sister where my mom taught. So we only had one car, and we had to come pick my dad up. And uh, that meant that we, uh, from work, and that meant that we were actually not far from where Dr. King was when he was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel. And we stopped at a little burger bar in South Memphis called Hall's Burger Bar. And that's when uh, my father learned that Dr. King had been shot. And a few minutes later, we got home, and uh, the news broadcasts were letting us know that he had died. Um, And uh, we had a member of our church at that time. Uh, I still remember his name. Uh, He's long uh, since been going home to be with the Lord, named J.C. Wilburn. And he was a sanitation worker. 
and uh, that helped us to kind of stay informed on what was going on, on on that particular front. So because of all of these different things that were taking place, um, I have uh, quite a few memories, if you will, yeah. of what transpired during that time. You know, I always question, and I never could understand why there was separate drinking fountains. I mean, even in the late 60s at the... Crondelay Dixie Mart uh, mm-hmm, store mm-hmm. on Summer Avenue in the back with the restrooms where there were separate bathrooms for black and white and separate water fountains. Even as a child, I never understood why that was. It just seemed so wrong. And I think, uh, you know, I, I really wish that uh, um, we could uh, encourage more people to uh, look at the racial history of our country. Um, for two reasons. One is that uh, it, it really helps us to see uh, how much America has been blessed and how far we've come, uh, where uh, the the struggle for racial unity and the struggle for racial equality, uh, where those struggles are concerned. But also, I think uh, our racial history will help us to understand uh, better how to yield our hearts to God and uh, now, I believe where the people of God are concerned, if we, we really stop and dialogue with each other and talk about why um, uh, our uh, racial history uh, has involved uh, what uh, was involved and and what occurred as a result of that or what, uh, 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 what the lingering effects of that may be, uh, I think under the unction of the Holy Spirit, we'd really be able to come together and uh, move forward and help the nation move forward, uh, the people of God, that is, right. helping the nation move forward. Well, Frank, where do you see the greatest breakdown in bringing the races together? Well, you know, I, I spent some time this weekend uh, listening to a um, speech that uh, Dr. King made in 1961 at uh, um, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That, that, that was a very interesting uh, time for him to be there making that particular speech. And uh, the title of the speech was The Church on the Frontier of Racial Tension. That was the title of uh, his sharing um, that April of 1961. And one of the things that he said, even in that particular speech, is that uh, uh, men hate each other. And I'm not, and I'm not suggesting by, by referring to this quote that hatred is at the core of our problem, but he said that men hate each other because they they fear each other, and they fear each other because they don't know each other, and they don't know each other because they don't they don't live and worship with each other. Um, I, I think uh, I think we're not talking enough. In that same speech, he talked about how we seem to be engaged more in monologue than dialogue. Um, I think we don't understand each other. Um, and uh, I think that's really, and I think we also uh, sometimes uh, don't understand how important we are to each other, to the glory of God. Uh, but this this fear and this lack of understanding and this lack of of talk and this lack of fellowship. And when I when I speak of fellowship, I mean I think, uh, uh, and, and we start talking about diversity in fellowship. I think the first thing that comes to people's minds is, uh, do we need to uh, develop multi-ethnic churches. Do our churches need to be more diverse? And that really would be wonderful. And there are some church fellowship groups that I think have modeled uh, 
positive intentionality. But but Byron, I I really think uh, that where this fellowship needs to occur is much in the same way that uh, uh, your fellowship with me has occurred over the past twenty eight years, uh, where it's not really been so much in a truck uh, structured church setting. Uh, it's just a matter of us spending time talking with each other and getting uh, to know each other, uh, whether it's been through interviews or at banquets or just as we run into each other. Uh, I think uh, uh, I think the more that we engage with each other, the better we understand each other, and I think that's really where the breakdown occurs. Yesterday I had a chance to watch uh, a live feed of Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of the late... Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Martin Luther King. I don't know if you saw that feed or I not. Saw, I, I saw an excerpt of that. Yeah, in yeah. honor of her dad's legacy and accomplishments. And I, I took note of some things that she said. And uh, she said that we can no longer see ourselves separated and divided. She said it is not enough to quote Dr. King. We've got to embody his teaching. Then she said not just Dr. King, but the king of all creation. Right, right. And then she said that we need a revolution of values and referred to Scripture as being a source of those values. Now, Frank, can we say that we've ignored the right and good values and have allowed our hearts to be ruled and dominated by immoral and indecent values? Uh, I think you're um, on point uh, uh, when you say that that's what's happened, and I think she's on point about what we need to do. Uh, You know, for all the talk that we do, uh, within the Christian community uh, about racial reconciliation, uh, I don't think we really understand uh, what true ra- racial reconciliation is going to have to involve. I mean, when you talk about being reconciled, you're talking about uh, making peace. And uh, uh, obviously we need to make peace with each other where our differences are concerned, but where um, our racial tensions and racial divisions are involved uh, I think what we really have to do is make peace with God. And that's not to say uh, that as individuals we are, have been oppressors or we've discriminated against anyone or we have hatred for anyone, but it is to say that what we need to do is we need to surrender our hearts to God and say, hey, Lord, uh, uh, given, um, given what uh, you brought about through creation, given what you want uh, where your people are concerned, um, uh, uh, where are our hearts? Uh, is my heart right? Um, Lord, will you bless me to understand where uh, my points of prejudice or my points of uh, racism uh, or um, the, the problems that I have in my heart with these issues are concerned? And I think the more that we do that together, uh, the more we can help each other, the more we can uh, confess to each other, the more we can forgive each other. Um, and the more we can demonstrate, uh, as Martin Luther King would put it, the strength to love uh, in fellowship with each other. Uh, but it all starts with uh, where is my heart um, as it relates to honoring God? Where is my heart as it relates to giving glory to God? Where well, all the issues of my life are concerned, but if we're talking about racial reconciliation, uh, where where is my heart on this matter of different ethnic groups and different races and um, what am I missing um, because I'm not giving glory to God? Uh, what am I missing because I'm not in fellowship with my brothers and sisters of different ethnic groups and different races? Um, uh, how, am I, how, how am I missing 
um, the uh, the beauty of all of this and the wonder of all of this. So I, I think it's important that we look at God's Word. I think it's important that, uh, uh, again, we surrender our hearts to the Lord and ask Him, hey, bless bless my heart with a better understanding of of who you want me to be and what you want me to be in relation to my brothers and sisters, uh, even those who don't look like me, but especially those who um, uh, join me in loving you as as Lord and Savior. Well, when you talk about the type of values that Dr. Bernice King was referring to and thinking about creating communities that are based on values like this, how should the church best make its voice heard when communicating values that we have that are opposite of the common voice values that people hear? Well, I think I think we have to be willing to speak uh, truth, um, um, not just truth to power, but but, but truth in our times. Uh, um, I think I think we have to acknowledge um, even where the church has problems. I think we we. Uh, uh, we have to acknowledge that we've we've got a race problem in this country. I, I, I hear a lot of people say that that we don't have a race problem in this country. Uh, I, I I believe that um, uh, when we speak truth and we do it to honor God and we do it to the glory of God, um, I think the Holy Spirit Himself uh, makes certain that we are heard as we need to be heard and where we need to be heard. But we have to have the courage to uh, to speak truth. Yeah, to well, come for... to an honest place about where we've been, where we are, and where we need to go. Frank, did you feel like you were in competition with like a white privilege that made it more difficult for you to achieve the accomplishments and reach the success that you've made? I mean. I mean, you've got a doctorate, you're a professor, God has blessed you with accomplishments and success. You're recognized, you know, for those accomplishments. But in the process of getting there, did you feel like that there was that wall, maybe, of a white privilege wall that you had to try to climb over? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'm not sure that I've always understood it as uh, as white privilege, but yes, Um um I, I've yeah I've, I've I've felt challenged by um, um, the the racial tensions in in this country and in the communities in which uh, I've lived and I, I I've got to be honest with you um, although I felt challenged um, I think that because of my parents and because of uh, the church fellowship groups that um, I've been involved with, particularly uh, the church where I'm still serving as pastor, True Light. I've been been uh, pastor of True Light for 26 years now, but I've been involved with the church for 44, going on 45 years. I've been surrounded by people who um, have, have just constantly, constantly urged me to um, not hate, um, Press on uh, to understand that uh, um, if if I'm in right standing with God, it really doesn't matter what anyone else does. 
I still, I still felt. You were able to draw uh, the values, the yeah. right, true values from a pool of people, your parents, the yeah. church. Yeah. And even though I personally didn't grow up in a church environment, I came from a single parent home. But my mom, you know, worked hard and she taught me good values. She taught me about working hard and she also told me that you don't judge people by right. the color of her skin. Right. Again, as Dr. King said, it is the character of the heart that's what matters. So that was something, that, a principle that I grew up with, even coming from a single-parent home, that mom worked very hard to provide for me. I was the only child. But part of that was just uh, you know learning from the things that she said. Frank, one of the enemies of this program is time, and we don't have a whole lot more. And oh, I, I have like so much I want to talk to you about. This can't be the end. We're going to have to get back together and, and talk more. But there's a couple of things that I thought would be good to to mention. What is one of the more inspirational moments for you personally when you reflect on the life and the work of Dr. King? Hmm. Um, more, most, one of the most inspirational moments. I, I, I would have to say that it it it, it had to do with a video that I've seen um, replayed over and over and again. Uh, when Dr. King was walking through a park in Chicago, and I think he was a little surprised by the fact that uh, the racial tension there was was uh, greater than some tensions that he uh, had experienced in the South. And there are people that are uh, in trees, um, young people who are throwing... Um, I know we we got to say goodbye, but uh, I got one more thing I want you to comment on real quickly. Former Senator Harris Walford of Pennsylvania said that Martin Luther King would turn over in his grave if he thought he was recognized by a day of shopping and rest. You know, it's interesting how ad agencies have a way of commercializing all of our national holidays. You know, I saw a television commercial for a furniture store offering free financing for five years during the MLK holiday. All that aside. How do we preserve the real value of this day for future generations? Well, we again, um, we we keep talking. Um, we keep dealing with truth um, concerning the past, and um, uh, we just forge ahead. Um, uh, I think there are many things that he would be proud about today. I think there are some things that. Uh, uh, would concern him greatly today. Uh, I think the church is still on the frontier of racial tension, unfortunately. Um, and we just continue to love each other. Um, I mean, I I, I, I want to always pay tribute to Dr. King, but I think the best way 
to pay tribute to Dr. King is to always think of everything uh, that he has done as being more a matter of what God has done through his life. And to remember that uh, more than honoring Dr. King, we actually honor uh, the Lord himself as we continue to press uh, uh, towards making real in our nation the values that he talked about. Dr. Frank Anderson, it's always a privilege to have you here with us on Mid-South Viewpoint. And most importantly, to be my friend, I love you so much, my dear brother. Thankful for how God is using you again. Dr. Frank Anderson is the director for the Center for Racial Reconciliation at Union University. Frank, if folks want more information about this center, if they want to engage in activities and things that you are going to be doing and we didn't even get even touch that yet, but what can people do? How can they learn more from you and, and more about this center? Well, for right now, since I'm, I'm based in Memphis, they can call me. Um, they can call me at, uh, at my office here in uh, the Germantown uh, Memphis area. It's 901-312-1916, and I'll be glad to talk with them. All right, friends, that's all the time we have on this live edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. 